to The Sad Bastard. I'm your host, Dave Ternowski. It's been a pretty difficult week to concentrate on anything. For many reasons. One of them pretty obvious. The election here in the United States has made it almost impossible to think. Let alone do any creative thinking. I'm thankful in a way for this shit show because it's kept me from thinking of other things. Sadness and depression have been replaced by abject terror. But really, could we have expected anything less from this fucking dumpster fire of a year? My mental health, all things considered, has been pretty good lately. Save for the extremely high anxiety that has made me very thankful for Xanax. Xanax, for when you can't stop obsessing over the fucking election results every 10 goddamn seconds. Speaking of meds, I spoke to my doctor again and switched from Abilify back to Wellbutrin because the side effects of Abilify were just too much to handle. It blurred my vision, totally fucked with my sleep schedule, not to mention my dreams. And quite honestly, it just didn't seem to be helping my depression. It was like I could still feel it there, but I was just numb to it. Like getting the gas at the dentist during a deep cleaning. You can feel the pain, but you're like, Oh, and it totally amped up my hypomania, which at times is great. I can be really productive when I'm manic. But I also get very reckless in that state. The good thing is I could recognize it now, and in some ways, I'm powerless over it. So I'm more forgiving of myself for the things I've done. The powerlessness makes me think of the first step of any 12-step group. We admitted that we were powerless over blank whatever addiction it is that you were in the group for. I've been to Alcoholics Anonymous, Marijuana Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and most recently, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And it's been very interesting to consider that I have bipolar disorder when thinking of my powerlessness in any of these things. One of the hallmarks of bipolar disorder is addiction and it's a double-edged sword. The depressive side can make you want to do drugs to feel better. Meanwhile, the manic side can make you want to do drugs to calm down. Mix that in with recklessness and erratic sexual behavior, the symptom of the manic side, and powerlessness seems much more real. And yet, different from the others in the room, Because in a sense, I feel that my growing knowledge of my condition is power. So I'm not completely powerless when it comes to what I do. Plus, the fact that I'm now taking prescribed medication and following up with my psychopharmacologist on a regular basis makes me feel like I am taking some positive steps towards managing my life. Note I didn't say control, 
because control is bullshit, at least for me. As I said last week, if I can't predict whether or not I'm going to be in an absolute mess tomorrow, or later, or even five minutes from now, how can I possibly say I have control over anything? But I do feel that noticing things and being more self-aware are keeping myself from getting into too much trouble. Unless I'm super hypomanic and I just lose whatever little control I do have over myself. But in those moments, I'll catch myself and be like, dude, what the fuck? And I'll try to stop. Those moments can be super intense though, and very hard to stop once they've started. And what makes them worse are the hits of oxytocin, the feel-good hormone. I get those when I do something reckless, like sexting with a bunch of women at the same time. Hence the Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous meetings. And then there's the whole feeling like I'm going to explode. Jorah, one of my Instagram followers, wrote into my Q&As. I'm so sad I want to rip my own face off. I don't see how it would help, but that is the urge. This makes me think of the times when I'm so completely consumed with anxiety and terror that the panic attack it causes makes me want to somehow escape my own body. It's in these moments when I think about jumping out the window or off the roof. Though as I've said before, the buildings in DC are way too short and I don't think they would kill me. And in those moments, all I want to do is die. To stop feeling that fear. It's amazing to me how irrational terror can strip away the ultimate fear. In those moments, I fear the unknown of living more than death. Sadness can certainly be just as bad. In the first few months after my ex and I split, the pain was so absolute that I just wanted to feel anything else. And yet somehow I'm still here, after all these awful moments. To be sure, I will feel them again, just as surely as they will pass again. Ja wrote, I'm going through a dark night of the soul, hoping I make it to the other side a better person. This makes me think of that phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Only I really think it should be, what doesn't make you kill yourself makes you stronger. I talk about suicide often and I always will. Not because I always think about killing myself, but because I always think it needs to be talked about. I am proud of all the dark nights of the soul I've been through, all the times when I thought that there was nothing left to live for, but I kept living anyway. They brought me to where I am right now, and sure, I'm a fucking mess, but I'm a living, breathing mess with possibility, potential. This goes out to Allie, who wrote, I kinda wish I didn't exist. So angry and sad and empty. Allie, be angry, be sad, be empty. Those are the only ways you are going to be loving and happy and full of life one day. And sure, 
you might be angry and sad and empty again the next day. But if you don't stick around, you can never have those good days. It's the ebbs and flows of life. Someone once told me to think of it like a heart rate monitor. It's constantly going up and down, but if it's flat, you're dead. And that's life. There's a moment I always think about, this time when I very nearly killed myself but decided to live instead. I was 31. My first wife and I had broken up the year before. I was waiting on a packed subway platform in New York for a train to take me to work. I hated my job. I hated my life. I hated myself. I hated fucking everything. As the train was barreling towards us, I said to myself, come on, fuck it, let's just end this. And I stepped towards the edge of the platform. In a split second, I decided not to and stepped back just before the train would have hit me. That split second was hope. It was a spark. I've said before, if I'd go, it would be jumping, but that also includes in front of trains. Anything that would make me just go splat and kill me instantly. But in my darkest moment until recent days, I decided to pull myself back from that edge. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live in pain anymore. So instead, I spent the next few years deepening a substance abuse problem and falling into sex addiction. And I started killing myself slowly. I became reckless, and it took me years to change. Something I'm still working on and will always be. You never stop being in recovery unless you're dead. And I'd rather be struggling with addiction than not be here to struggle with anything. To stay alive means to stick around for better times. And if they're not coming yet, stay alive and stick around for them. And remember, you have agency. Only you can change you. You can find something new to cling to something to Marie Kondo your life with. Do some joy sparking. All you need is that right spark to set your heart ablaze. But again, not if you're dead. When I was about to let that train smash me, I had no inkling I would ever meet someone as wonderful as my second wife. I didn't believe I was worthy of anything wonderful after my first wife left me. I still have problems believing I'm worthy. That was a huge part of why she and I broke up. I never felt powerful with her. I felt important to her, but never her equal. And so I did reckless things to make myself feel the power that I couldn't with her. To be sure, there were moments, especially right after we broke up, when things were really ugly and it felt terrible for hurting her, when I wanted to kill myself, particularly the day of, when I had to leave. 
It was Thursday, June 18th. My wife, now my ex-wife, had just left the apartment, and it would be the last time I'd see her for nearly three months. I was standing in our dining room in the middle of the biggest panic attack I'd ever had in my life. I had my hands clutched to the back of a chair. I was just standing there, feeling so many things at once that I was numb and completely dumb. I just couldn't believe things had gone the way they had, that the life I had known for nearly seven years had suddenly come to a very ugly end. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was I had to leave. I was no longer welcome there. My friend Carolyn was coming to pick me up so I could stay with her for a few days. I told my now ex-wife I would be gone by noon, and it was now 9 a.m. I didn't know what else to do, so I decided I'd pack my things, but didn't get far before I froze and just stood there. The weight of everything that had happened in such a short period of time, and all the guilt I felt, and all the self-hatred, and the complete and utter sadness. All these things keeping me rooted in place. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to go back in time and undo everything I had done to hurt her and be a better husband. But obviously that was impossible. So then my mind turned to the roof. The building we lived in had a great rooftop deck that up until the year before I would retreat to and smoke weed in secret. Now I was picturing myself jumping off of it. Truth be told, I had thought about jumping from it many times whenever I'd go up there to smoke. I wasn't happy, and I didn't know how to tell her that. But as I stood there in the middle of our apartment, now her apartment, I didn't know how to do anything. Finally, I called my friends Brian and Darren, and they talked me off the ledge. Or rather, they talked me from the roof. I've loved these guys for a long time, but I'd never reached out during dark times. I had handled those or mishandled them on my own. And it was because of this that they answered the phone right away. I mean, I suppose if someone never calls you and then suddenly they do, odds are it's bad news. I talked through what had happened and how I was feeling. They were so incredibly compassionate with me that I instantly calmed down. No jumping for me that day. Which brings me to Sav, who wrote, I miss my ex and I feel I made a huge mistake in leaving him. I texted my ex earlier saying I missed her and that this whole election fiasco would have been so much easier to deal with had we still been together through it all. I miss her dearly and often feel like our splitting up was a huge mistake. But I had done too many things to hurt her and likely would have kept doing so had we stayed together. 
because I simply wasn't happy. And not just with her, or us, but with myself. This goes back to what I was saying about feeling unworthy. And I'm working hard on forgiving myself for what I did because I was hurting. Because I was too weak to leave. This makes me think of what Tess wrote into me. Accepting the end, finality of something is so freaking hard. It's so easy to just keep going along with something that isn't working, that isn't making you more happy than not. I knew things with my ex had to end for a while before it happened, but I also loved her deeply and feared losing the love I felt from her, even if it was mixed with things that I didn't like very much. But when it was all over, all I wanted was to have it back, even though I knew for the most part that I was miserable. I could never figure out what it was that I was miserable with. Was it because of her or was it because of me? Maybe a combination, but it was never enough for me to call it quits. Something had to happen to force the issue. And that thing for us was a couple of stupid things I said to two women I had thought I was friends with and got a little too comfortable with. We had known each other through Instagram and we seemed to have a pretty nice friendship, the three of us. I wasn't attracted to either of them, so it was purely a friend thing. One night I had a sex dream about one of them and I thought it was really odd. So I wrote and I told her about it. I know, I know, never do that, but I did. It was stupid, I know. But I had considered our friendship and how loving she had always seemed towards me. And I didn't think for one second that it would land poorly, but it offended her deeply. I apologized profusely, I was fucking mortified. And then about a month later on Instagram, the other friend posted something in her stories about blowholes. And I commented with the really fucking witty line, I'd blow your holes anytime. Again, stupid. But as far as I was concerned, innocuous. But not to her. Fast forward to June and I'm being doxxed by these two. Screenshots of these conversations were in both of their Instagram stories. I started getting nasty messages from hundreds of their friends. This was quickly followed by the husband of the one I had the sex dream about, sending me a message on Facebook with a copy of the message I had sent to his wife, saying, I have 13 mutual friends with your wife. I think you should maybe start talking to her about this. Now, to be clear, I don't blame these people for my marriage ending. In a way, I guess I should thank them for forcing the issue for me. I don't think doxing and blackmailing and threatening me were necessarily awesome things on their parts, but I'm not the one who has to live with doing those things. 
I have to live with being impulsive and reckless and ruining my marriage in the process. But truth be told, I had done so many shitty things over the years that it's a wonder she had stuck with me for so long. She saw me. She saw me for who I was, both good and bad. But in the end, the bad outweighed the good. I had gone too far. And for that, I will forever be filled with regret and shame. But you learn from endings. Beginnings are all fun, filled with love and lust and happiness. But endings can be the exact opposite and worse. And now that I've spilled my guts a bit, it's time for a lightning round. To start on a very, very happy note, Jeff wrote in, What you're doing is important to many. The podcast is great, too. You've influenced me to get clean again and to keep going on with my journey and my therapy and life. Thank you. Jeff, first of all, congratulations. That makes me so happy to hear. This is exactly why I do this stuff. I'm always heartened when someone writes in to tell me I convinced them to go to therapy or to get clean. I've even had people write in and tell me I've saved their lives. That's some heavy shit. And it's through all this that I'm trying to redeem myself for some of the shitty things I've done. Helping others has helped me become a much better person. I still have my flaws. I still do shitty things, especially when I'm being reckless. But I know not to hide from them anymore. No more lying, especially not to myself. It sounds like you're on a great path and I wish you nothing but the best. Just remember, one day at a time. And go to meetings like I was talking about earlier. You don't need to get into the God stuff or even work the steps. Just listening to other people share their stories helps. And if you share your own, you will help yourself even more. The more you share with others, the better you get to know yourself. Trust me. I know this just from doing the Q&As in this podcast. These have helped me more than therapy. Next up is Judith, who wrote, Today is the half-year anniversary of my husband's death. I'm starting to catch feelings for a new guy. I feel so fucking guilty. Judith, First off, I'm very sorry for your loss. Most importantly, you don't have to wear black for the rest of your life and swear off other men. I mean, wear black all you like. I love wearing black. But your husband would not want you to sit around mourning him forever. You can't help who you fall in love with, or how, or when. That's all I'm going to say as far as the guilt part. What I will say is be careful. Grief is tricky. And if you start a relationship too soon, you could end up losing it quickly. My suggestion is to be as open as honest with this new guy as possible. I mean, that's always my suggestion. But with this especially. 
and not for him, but for you. So you can't say he wasn't warned that you might occasionally be a total fucking mess. And that way you know if he'll be emotionally mature enough to be with you during those moments. I wish you luck. Patrick wrote, Getting left on red again. Why do I even try? You try, Patrick, because that's what we do. Because it's the only way to connect. You need to risk having someone break your heart to find love. And love, in turn, will break your heart. If you get left on red, just move on. There are almost 8 billion people on this planet. Next up is Angie, who wrote, Ex I haven't talked to texted me, and I didn't realize I had so much anger towards him until now. Angie, anger isn't going to do anything but hurt you. Ask yourself, what good is this doing me? What good would it do to lay it all on him? And he's your ex already, so it really doesn't matter. You need to do your best to just let it go. That said, if you feel you need to unleash it all on him to feel better, then by all means, go for it. But be prepared for a response that might hurt and make you wish that you hadn't. I don't know how long it's been since you broke up, but you may just need more time to heal. And maybe just don't text him back. Next up is Katerina, who wrote in perhaps my favorite question ever. What is your biggest fear? The first thing that comes to mind is what Garland Briggs said in one of my favorite TV shows, Twin Peaks, when he was asked by Wyndham Earl a very similar question. His response, the possibility that love is not enough, that hate will ultimately triumph over love is my fear. Hate is just fear that people don't know what to do with. It's why fear mongers can so easily tap into the hearts of people who fear more than love. Because fear is the opposite of love, not hate. Hate is just a byproduct. This world needs so much more love. I always say if you had a choice between love or hate, why would you choose hate? And yet so many people do. So many people only want other people to be like them and anything else makes them uncomfortable, which stokes fear. And if that fear gets a spark, it can inflame hate, especially if you get someone who fans the flames. It's up to those of us who love more than hate to spread that love around and be vulnerable. There are a lot of people who have problems with vulnerability. They call us snowflakes, pussies, sensitive. But if they could just open up, this world could be a much more beautiful place. Next up is Alice who wrote, how can I avoid isolation? I don't have wishes to talk to anyone, neither my therapist. Well, Alice, I'm very honored that you reached out to me then. And that tells me that you can reach out to others. You want to. 
Maybe you just don't want to face any judgment or criticism. And I'm safe because I'm a stranger. I totally get that. After my wife and I split, I completely isolated myself and told my parents I couldn't talk to them for those very reasons. Not judgment towards me, judgment towards my wife, which I did not want or need to hear. I was hurting, and a large part of that was because I had hurt her so much, and I didn't want to hear them place any blame on her, which I knew they would. But I'm lucky I have a couple of people in my life that I can talk to about anything without fearing those things. And I've leaned on them a lot. I hope you have at least one person like that that you could reach out to. But if not, write me again. I'll be here. Well, that's all for this week. I want to thank everyone for writing in and everyone for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. And follow my Instagram accounts, Nick Cave and the Bad Memes, Sad Peaks, Don Trooper, Mimi Bridgers, and the Sad Bastard Pod. Once a week on Nick Cave and the Bad Memes and Sad Peaks, I do Q&A in the stories where you can tell me what's on your mind, and I might save it to reply to on a future episode. You could also drop me a DM over at the Sad Bastard Pod. There's much more space to write exactly what it is you need to say. I'll be back next week. Until then, take care of yourselves. Forgive yourselves. Love yourselves. And be kind to yourselves. Taking me down, my friend. Hush me off to my end Will I bid you adieu Will I be seeing you soon What they say around here is true Then we'll meet again Me and